The market doesn't joke around, so why would you? Get serious. Choose Tasty Trade. Tasty Trade gives you the tools you need to make smarter moves. Dig into data with advanced charting, track profit accurately with order chain trackers, see risk clearly with curve analysis, and trade with low-capped commissions, stocks, options, futures, and more. All on one platform. No wonder serious traders choose Tasty Trade. Join the club, genius. Tasty Trading is a registered broker-dealer and member of FINRA and SIPC. I'm Scott Wapner, and you're listening to CNBC's Halftime Report, the podcast, the most profitable hour of the trading day. We record this live weekdays at 12 Eastern. Listen in. Carl, thanks so much. Welcome to the Halftime Report. I'm Scott Wapner, front and center this hour. The Fed and what happens to your money now. We'll get right to it with the Investment Committee today. Joining me for the hour, Degas Wright, Bryn Talkington, Rob Seachin, Jim Labenthal, Steve Weiss, and Pete Najarian, co-founder of MarketRebellion.com. It is a super-sized investment committee today because it is an all-hands-on-deck kind of market. And there is your market picture right now. As Carl Pryor said, Dow's up nearly 500, 470, 34,636. Real interesting market activity since the Fed chair made the decision made his speech yesterday and certainly answered questions at the press conference. There's the S&P, good for nearly 50. That's better than 1%. The 10-year note yield is at 180. So we've had a tick up in yields since the meeting. Rob Seachin, I'm going to start with you. I don't have you for all that long today. So I want your thoughts on what you should be doing in this market now, now that the Fed has spoken. I think anytime you have a volatile day, and when I mean volatile, I mean to the downside, I think you have to be taking advantage of that. It's something we recommended to our clients on Monday. That, that said, I think you have to be mindful of the fact that his job is not complete and there's likely more volatility to come. He's naturally going to be data, data dependent. That's what he, that's what he talked about. Um, my, my sense is that this is, this is a man who is behind the curve and he needs to make sure that markets desensitize to the fact that rates are headed higher and there's going to be a balance sheet runoff. And so as markets digest that, I suspect that we have not seen the lows. Now, that said, I know I've been pretty different than, than Farmer Jim, who said that was the low. We've seen the low. I hope he's right. Because our, because our forecast for year end is that stocks can end the year higher. I think what we're questioning is the path traveled to get there. And we want to make sure that we're positioned in a way to really take advantage of, of the volatility that we think we're going to continue to see in the short term. And this is not an easy job okay. for this man. I am telling you, you have to you have to focus on inflation, which is clearly there and not upset the global growth paradigm. And by the way, the Fed sets the tone for everywhere else. They need to be maybe a little more hawkish, Scott, than some of the other some of the other countries around the world, which is why we're pivoting in that direction. Policy was never eased as much there and it's it doesn't have to come mm -hmm. in as much in those areas are cheaper. So those are some of the things we're thinking about, and we think we have to be data dependent and reactive. Okay, so Jim Labenthal, since, since Rob mentioned you, and you're kind of the man of the hour with this call that we put in the bottom the other day, you know, Fundstrat's technician, the chief technician over there, Mark Newton, says, and I'm quoting now, the severity of Wednesday's reversal in U.S. stocks likely means a retest has begun, which should take SPX back down to test and even breach Monday's low by a small amount. Key levels to watch carefully lie near 4287 on the S&P, which, if breached, 
should lead down to 42.22 and then under to 41.80 to 42.00. You comfortable still, Jim, with that call? Yes. Yeah, I'm going to stick with the call. Um, Mark Newton is a very talented technical manager, uh, but I'm looking more at the fundamentals and, importantly, the market sentiment. We wake up this morning, Scott, and the market, in my opinion, is hyperventilating about there's going to be five sequential raises by the Fed of the Fed funds rate, which if they do it at sequential meetings, that means the fifth one will be sometime in the fall, September, October. I have to tell you, trying to predict what's going to happen seven, eight months from now, I think it's folly. I honestly think it's folly. I'm comfortable saying saying that uh, they're going to raise rates uh, in March and they're going to be data dependent thereafter. I do think they'll raise more, but I think for the market to get all worked up about five rate hikes is wildly premature. Um, That's what knocked things down on Monday. You know, we may go a little lower from here, but I think Monday is the low. And more importantly, more importantly, this is a time to buy, period. I want to make sure, I mean, you, you, you did listen to the Fed chair yesterday, right? Because, I mean, we're not only talking about <laughs> the prospects of, of rate hikes, we're talking about simultaneous quantitative tightening going on at the same time, perhaps at an even faster clip than the market was prepared to hear yesterday. I mean, Jim, amid suggestions that maybe the Fed chair was going to throw some sort of dovish bone to the market, not only didn't he do that, he was arguably more hawkish than the market was even expecting that he might be. I see it differently, Scott. I see what he said yesterday to me. What he was saying is, I don't know. And the market doesn't like to hear that, but that's the truth of the matter. Inflation got away from him. He's, he and the committee are taking the steps they need to to rein in inflation. But I heard him say that the path is not knowable by anyone, him, the committee, or market prognosticators. It's going to be data dependent on what happens with inflation. I got to take him at his words. And by the way, the indications I have, whether it's goods or labor, is that inflation has topped out and is ready to set lower. I don't know. Look at oil prices, owners equivalent rent. Good gauges of inflation suggest that it hasn't topped out. It may have topped out in certain areas, but in the picture as a whole in terms of inflation, that's not necessarily the case. Pete, you're a, you know, a nimble guy in the market, and the market has been forcing people to be nimble because it's been volatile of late. So 24 hours or a little bit less since the Fed, 20 two hours or so, what, what do you do? What are we to do today? And, and we've round-tripped, right? I mean, this is give or take some of the levels we were at yesterday before the Fed. We got the Fed, got, got their, uh, the, the, the numbers, leaving it unchanged. And then, uh, obviously, about a half hour later, that's when the uh, market just started to fall apart, right? And we completely reversed. And I mean, just again and again and again, this has been happening to us. So, you know, I, I think Jim is, is bold to think that, um, that, that we've seen the lows and that's it. Um, I don't know about that, Jimmy. I, I would love to agree with you, but I just don't see it. I see a volatile market in front of us. As a matter of fact, each and every day now, I'm seeing more and more activity in the volatility indexes themselves in terms of buyers of looking for even more volatility to come. So usually with more volatility, a lot of the time that does oftentimes happen when we are on those shots to the downside. So um, I don't know that we have. I think we could easily test it again. Maybe we breached through that uh, that level where we were just earlier in the week. But, 
you know, the reality is we do have inflation. We all know that. We all are looking at the prices of oil. That's the easiest one for us to measure day in and day out as we go through things. But that doesn't mean there aren't opportunities out there, Scott. And it doesn't mean that you can't find names out there that on these dips have come down significantly. And not all of them, because we talk about those multiples, you know, those high multiples. But I do think there are quality names that now have gotten themselves into a position where now we can feel a little bit more comfortable about buying some of those names. It doesn't mean we're buying the low, but you're at least buying quality names at a huge discount from where they were a month ago, six months ago, whatever the case may be. And I think that's what the opportunities are in the market. And with that implied volatility being that much higher, you're able to sell options against long stock positions with huge premiums, far different than you were able to do over the last year or so while we were looking at volatilities that were somewhere between 16 and under 20, somewhere in that sort of a range. So we are now seeing double that, which means essentially you're seeing double the implied volatilities in many of these stocks as well to sell against positions. I just wonder, Bryn, if the field of play, so to speak, has narrowed considerably in terms of where you're able to find stocks that are attractive in this new Fed regime, if you want to refer to it that way. I was thinking about a tweet that Kramer had last night where he suggested in taking a look at 3,000 some odd stocks, there were maybe a dozen or so that seemed to be attractive. There's the tweet there. Powell killed the Fed put. Have to be very exacting now. And as I showed you tonight, out of 3,000 companies, I could find only about a dozen I liked in this new world. I heard from a notable hedge fund manager last night uh, suggesting to me as well, Fed put is dead. So what about what Kramer's tweeting about? Yeah, I think that it's definitely a narrow market. Um, Energy continues to do well, right? Even on Monday when the market sold off, energy sold off, but then got a bid really quick when it came back. And so I think sectors like energy, which we've been early on and been overweight for for two years, continue to go into that narrative you're talking about, about a narrow market. But in our portfolios, you know, I've spent a lot of time over the past couple of years talking about, you know, covered calls and the strategy JEPI. Um, We have about a third of our equity exposure in a covered call strategy because not only are the volatilities going to give you more on that premium, you get high quality names as well. And so I agree with you. You know, I've been thinking about, you know, the Marty's Zweig, the Marty Zweig, you know, um, adage of don't fight the Fed. And that's where we've been the last two years. But the Fed is clearly being more hawkish. Absolutely. And I think the market is really struggling with, well, if we didn't fight the Fed last two years and the market went up, well, aren't we fighting the Fed right now? So I think that, you know, earnings growth will be in line, GDP will grow, but I think it's going to be a really choppy year, 100%. So I like covered calls. I do agree with that narrow lane. We like energy, and I think you have to pick, pick your spots. I ask you this all the time, and, and I'm going to again, and I hope you'll forgive me for it, but you have that exposure to the ARC funds, right? And they've been hit especially hard. Kramer, again, this morning was suggesting if you have exposure to those kinds of stocks that you should use the opportunity that the market is providing you on days like today and get out and just sell them all together because they're never going to come back, certainly not to the degree at which they were before they had this upset period. What do you make of that? Are you still inclined? I know it's a small position in what is a much larger sea in Mm -hmm. which you swim, but are you inclined to get out of the water altogether as it relates to that? Well, first of all, no. 
And I think this is a, a classic case study in sentiment because just two years ago, certain people were saying energy is uninvestable. And now everyone's falling all over themselves to invest in energy. And so I think investors need to understand how quickly things change. And I think, and, and I've talked about this, over the next few months, it could be over the next year, those type of high beta, high growth names, small cap growth names will struggle. But just like when the tech bubble burst, which was carnage for a few years, there are a basket of companies that are going to continue to innovate. We originally allocated to ARKK, which we thought was like the best ideas portfolio, because we wanted venture capital exposure, but with the rigor of the public markets. And we felt that was the best mechanism to do that. And so I think sizing is important. As, as, as you know, it's a, it's, a, it's a smaller position, and we're just going to let it sit. But I do think the end of the year looks very different than where we are right now. You know, GDP printed what for Q4 2021 at 6.9%. I'm going to guess Q4 2022 is half of that. And as growth slows, people are going to want to look for companies that are growing. That time is not right now. So I agree with Jim as a, as a trade. I wouldn't be stepping in there and taking big positions in these high growth names. But to say they're never going to come back, I think it's just like saying energy was uninvestable in 2020. Sure, but there's a difference between something not being investable a couple of years ago and the fundamental environment has changed. It's different when you're talking about stocks that were already trading, unlike energy was back then, at astronomical valuations based on the biggest picture that you could ever imagine in terms of growth and where earnings were going to be in the future and how the market was discounting that now to such a large Degree. I mean, there is a bit of a difference in the way that you could have looked at energy in, in two years ago, for example, and the fact that a lot of these stocks have come down so significantly, they may never get back to some of the levels in which they were. It might have been simply a moment in time. Are they investable, to use your word? Maybe at the here and now, some of these are investable at these more depressed levels. To think that they may be investable in getting back to the levels they once were, I'm not so sure. Well, well so, so let's talk about this for a second. And I'm going to use a case study of, of one of the winners. There were so many losers in the tech bubble. But, you know, Amazon, which was a small cap company in 1998, was at $6. By the end of maybe March of 2000, the end of 1999, it was 113 Scott, by 2001, it was back at 6 And in Jeff Bezos' annual report, the, the end of year annual report, the first word was ouch. And what's interesting is three years later, Amazon was about $60. And to your point, it took till 2007 for Amazon to get back to 100. And so when you're going to invest in these high growth names, you have to size these right and have a long term time horizon. So at the same time, though, Amazon was getting stronger and stronger. But everyone just thought it was a bookseller, you know, taking in a dollar and giving back 95 cents. So I want to have exposure there, and I think that an active strategy is the only way to do it because I can't value the difference between a Twilio and a Tesla, and so I'm going to hire somebody else to do that but size the position right. Sure. Um, and, and it's worth noting, look, I'm, I'm not suggesting, and nor is Kramer by any stretch, that um, every single stock within that universe cannot come back. And he's um, saying as much uh, on Twitter. To be clear, I think some can come back. But it was very, very uh, hard to find a Chevron or a Conoco type of stock among those companies that have fallen, as Jim is tweeting right now. Sure. Is there an Amazon in the bunch? Is there five or ten of them? Sure. 
Um, the problem is there may be, you know, 20 to 30 others that don't uh, have the ability to come back to the degree in which they were. Degas, what are you doing in the market? How do you, how do you feel post-Fed? Yeah, so Scott, you know, I'm going back to uh, Bryn's comment. It really comes down to what's your portfolio thesis. And I'm sure Bryn's uh, ARC exposure is a small percentage of that thesis. And so what you really have to do in this market, especially in down markets, if you notice that your portfolio is worse than the overall market, you, want, you probably have more portfolio risks than the benchmarks. And so what you want to do in this type of market, you want to evaluate your risk, break it down by your economic sector, and also look at individual stocks and seeing how they perform against those benchmarks. And by doing that, it becomes a way of you managing through this process. Because, and that's what we're doing. We looked at every holding that we have and we evaluated it against the benchmark. And so with us, we were able to actually preserve more of our investors' capital by having our portfolio position that way before we had this downturn. So I think you have to go back to your portfolio thesis and really understand that. Yeah. Steve Weiss, um, I guess your actions speak louder than words uh, today in the fact that you bought more Facebook, you bought more Cleveland Cliffs and on semi and XPO logistics. You're looking for opportunity within this market, even if it's a more narrow field in which to play on. Yeah. So so to me, just. You know, listen to what everybody says. Uh, just by showing up and investing, you're predicting the future. So that's what you're doing, Jim. Like it or not, you're predicting the future. Um, look, I'm I'm in fifty percent. I'm fifty percent net long. I was thirty percent net long. I'm fifty percent net long. To me, this is about risk management, pure and simple. And as long as people are surprised that, and still expressing surprise today, that the Fed put is gone. I think the market is just not going to go up uh, because why would you think the Fed put was there going to Powell's meetings, Powell's conference? It was lunacy. OK, they're tightening. He cares more about, as I said earlier in the show, earlier before he spoke, that he cares more about the 70 percent of people in this country that can't afford groceries, that can't afford gas, that can't afford rent. He doesn't care about the 30 percent that maybe their market what they had in the market, that valuation goes down to what it was a year ago. Could care less, and that's the right way to look at it, frankly. Now, in terms of energy, it is uninvestable, okay? When you take a look at, at SLOB, SLB, Schlumberger, it's back to where it was in 1997. It's tradable, it's not investable, never has been investable, it won't be. No way can you compare that to the high-valued companies, I don't mean value in terms of appreciated, I mean 100 times revenue, 50 times revenue. It's not the same. So I'm staying away from those. And in fact, the stocks that I've picked, I've done a terrible job. I'm finding it a very, very difficult market to navigate. I mean, I bought more on. Guess what? It's down today. Facebook's up, but I bought more last week at, what, 300? And okay, so I'm making a little money. I bought some more, you know, um, you know, Cleveland Cliffs uh, down here. That's okay. And I sold it well, but I'm expecting to lose money on XPO Logistics. I bought more. Phenomenal company. I met with almost the entire management team just a week ago. Things are going great. Stock's down today. So I'm finding it very difficult 
to navigate this market, that's going to continue until people realize that they've not seen this cycle before, where you've got a $9 trillion balance sheet that Powell's going to shrink, where you have unlimited rate increases. I don't mean unlimited, but more than we've seen in the last 10, 15 years. And a lot of people that are in the market don't know how to deal with that. And I'm having problems dealing with it. And I'm bearish. So, look. So keep your capital. Don't think you have to jump in. I guarantee you, in a lot of these names, you'll get another chance. And particularly in the ARC names, you'll get many chances. And each time you take a bite of that apple, you're going to get a toothache because they're just going lower. There's no way those companies, not all of them, most of them are worth what they're trading at now. And just because they're down 50% doesn't mean anything. That's not valuation. That's stock price. So I'm staying on the sidelines as much as I can, because every time I go in and do something, man, it's like the wrong move. So just be patient. If I miss the first 10% upside, that's great. But I think there may be another 10 to 20% downside. And I hate losing money, actually, more than I like making money. So that's where I am. Well, leave, leave, it, leave it to you, Weiss, to, uh, to stir it up, just as I try and declare that your actions speak louder than your words. Um, you were clearly throwing some shade Bryn's way. Um, and I want to let her respond to that. Because Bryn uh, can handle about, it. You know. Oh, she definitely can. Uh, yeah. The question is, can you handle yeah. what's about to come? Bryn? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Harley. I mean, don't you still own Moderna? And so we'll start there. But, um, but no, you know, yeah, listen. Well, hold on, hold on. <laughs> Hold on, hold no. on. I've been, you had your chance, Weiss. No, I've been no, in no, 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 no. Okay, you had ahead. your go. chance. In, you had your chance. This is Bryn's turn. Okay. This is Bryn's turn. Yeah. You attacked her. You attacked her thesis, uh, not only on energy but arc. Go ahead, Bryn. The floor is yours. Yeah. Well, so so I, mean, I think Steve is great. He's a narrative. He's he trades a lot more than we do. I'm an asset allocator. I think that energy. We'll just see, right? I feel highly confident that I'm right. It's very investable. I think there's a structural shift. Politicians really screwed up across the, across the, across the globe saying we're all going to live on windmills and solar panels. That's just not true. And so there's been no CapEx in these companies for years. And there's this thing in oil called a decline curve. You should look it up, Steve, because you know what? When you don't spend in energy, you have less of it. And so I, I believe that energy is a structural head, head, a tailwind and not, and not just a trade. And so, but I'm here in Texas, so what, what do I know? And then, you know, it's ARC. I listen. We have a 5% position in ARC, right? We have a 5% position in ARC. You know, we bought it originally in March 26th of 2020 at like 30 bucks. In December of 2020, we cut that position in half. And then in February of 2021, we cut it again in half. So we're being smart allocators of reducing a position that had had really outsized returns. But as I said before, we have zero VC exposure in the private markets and wanted to have exposure. And so we decided to affect that in the public markets. And so I don't think someone's going to go tell Chamath or David Sachs or all of them to go shut down all of their VC firms. This is the same thing, but just you have that rigor of the public markets analyzing every bit of these companies. So I'm going to stick with it. I think Which you is know, we all have our different opinions, but energy's here to stay, though. I'm telling you that. Which, 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 frankly, is the is the beauty of this venue and the investment committee in and of itself. The the rigor of the debate. That's what it's all about. There can be a difference of opinion and different strategies that work for each one of you. And all you can do is share your best ideas and methodology with 
with the viewer, and then ultimately it's it's up to the the ledger, right? You see what happens at the end of the day. Um, and speaking of, we're going to see what happens in the market now that the Fed has spoken. And you know, we've been here before, right? 2018, the market threw a fit, worried that the Fed was going to make a mistake, and we had a miserable year. It ended up to be for the stock market. We're going to see what happens over the balance of the year amid calls that we can still go higher and finish above 5,000 on the S&P. On that note, let's bring in our senior economics reporter, Steve Leisman, with more. And Steve, as I said, it's good to have you back, as, as always, of course. Um, as I said at the outset, not only was the Fed chair not dovish in, in any way, shape or form, you can certainly make a case that he was more hawkish than some were even anticipating. Yeah, and I think he did that by keeping things open-ended. A bit of a nod and maybe uh, uh, without total agreement with the Labenthal idea. Uh, the Fed is more uncertain now than it's ever been. And the way I look at it, Scott, is we're sort of entering a new regime here. We had a regime of, of very solid guidance for low interest rates uh, and, and QE for the better part of the entire run of the pandemic here. And now I think it's uh, maybe the best way to think is we're a bit without a net here. And maybe that gets at the Fed put idea. But it is without a net in the sense that ultimately uh, it's going to be meeting to meeting, data report to data report. Uh, Labenthal could end up being right. Uh, but I, I just want to recognize that the Fed has an inflation problem. And the big change today, Scott, is um, you're right. The market was already fairly hawkishly positioned. And now it's more hawkish in the sense that we're now looking at consecutive meetings. What's priced in are three consecutive rate hikes uh, through uh, May, uh, uh, sorry, March, May and June. Uh, and then uh, a little break there, which is interesting because I wonder if the market is pricing in a break because it thinks that's when the Fed will begin reducing the balance sheet. And then on to September and then a fifth one now by uh, December. Powell didn't guarantee that, but he did say we're going to be steady. That's the new. We now have guidelines, not guidance. Yeah, it's, it's interesting. I'm wondering what you make of and I know you were on Squawk this morning, so you certainly uh, heard those comments that Stan Druckenmiller had given to Kernan. Um, listen to the bond market um, and maybe the bond market is going to be able to be listened to more than it has been in the last many years, just given the fact that the Fed is taking the punch bowl away. Um, there's less distortion as a result, ultimately, within the bond market. So now, as stock investors have looked to the bond market for generations to get guidance on where their equities may go, maybe now's the time to do that again. What do you make of that? Well, I mean, due respect to Stan, uh, I think we're a very long way from having the bond market not be distorted, right? We have a $9 trillion balance sheet right now. <clears throat> the expectation is that this thing starts to come off at four or $500 billion uh, this year, maybe 900 or a trillion next year. So we're a long way from not distorting it. They won't be distorting it fair enough by, by buying on the, uh, in the secondary market right now by buying anymore. But we're a long way from distorting it. If you look at what's happening in the bond market right now, there's actually reason for worry. Look at what happened to the 210 uh, spread here. It's down in the, the low 60s right now. It had been at 75 yesterday. So clearly you've had uh, uh, short rates go up more than long rates. The long rates did rise. Uh, Scott, I, I think the only thing you could think about is, you know, meeting to meeting, watch your inflation numbers. I think there's two things happening here. And I, I, I like what Paul McCulley told me. He said uh, it's the beginning of, of alpha and the end of levered beta. Um, and, and I think what's happened here is this was like a uh, 
the stock market was something like, and I'll get a little uh, a pushback from your panel here, was, was something like a fifth grade soccer game where everybody got a participation award just for playing. Um, I don't think it's going to be the case anymore. I think it's going to be a big macro story with every inflation report, jobs report matters. And then I think it's going to be a micro story where every earnings report matters. So I think everybody's going to earn their money now. I do also think, you know, part of Druckenmiller's point, and of course I didn't speak with him, so I don't have the clarity fully of it, is in fact exactly what you just said. It's the flattening of the curve, right? Pay close attention to that. Listen to that message. And now we'll have to see if there's an inverted yield curve somewhere down the line that portends um, recession at some points. Uh, not every indication, obviously, of, but we'll have to keep our eye on that. Steve, I appreciate it as always. Uh, been yeah. great having you on the program Thanks, throughout man. all of this. Uh, Fed turbulence causing the market. I know we'll see you soon and perhaps as early as tomorrow. We'll take a quick break. We've got Apple earnings after the bell tonight. I've got so much more on tap. Ackman and Netflix. Pete's unusual activity coming up. We've got more trader moves to get through. We'll do it next. Old Dominion Freight Line was built on keeping promises. With an industry-leading on-time delivery record and low claims rate, we keep promises better than any other LTL freight carrier. Because we treat every shipment like it's our most important one. Which means we do the little things right so that we can keep our promises and you can keep yours too. That's what drives us. To learn how OD can help your business keep its promises, visit ODFL.com. Old Dominion. Helping the world keep promises. B2B selling is tougher than ever, and we feel your pain. If you're struggling to close deals, consider giving LinkedIn Sales Navigator a shot. This sales intelligence platform helps professionals like you engage high-value customers, drive higher revenue, and increase sales performance. Sales Navigator also guides you in targeting the right buyers, highlights key signals such as job changes or which accounts you should prioritize, and uncovers hidden hot prospects so you can find those buyers that are most likely to convert. Fueled by LinkedIn's 1 billion member platform, Sales Navigator gives you the most up-to-date first-party data, enabling you to unlock conversations with the people that matter. Right now, you can try LinkedIn Sales Navigator and get a 60-day free trial at linkedin.com slash halftime report. That is linkedin.com slash halftime report for a 60-day free trial. Let LinkedIn Sales Navigator help you sell like a superstar today. Just go to linkedin.com slash halftime report and get started. Welcome back to the Halftime Report. I'm Rahel Solomon, and here is our CNBC News update at this hour. Oklahoma has executed a man for the brutal killing of two hotel workers during a robbery in 2001. Daniel Grant received a lethal injection after the Supreme Court denied a last-minute appeal. It is the first execution in the U.S. this year and the third in Oklahoma since October. Attorneys say that they will pursue an insanity defense for 15-year-old Ethan Crumbly. He is the Michigan teenager charged with killing four students in a mass shooting at his high school. The announcement should trigger mental health exams for Crumley, who faces murder charges as an adult. President Biden set to speak with Ukrainian President Zelensky in a little over an hour. A Ukrainian spokesman says that it will be a long talk about the threat from Russia, military aid and cooperation. And Pittsburgh Steelers quarterback Ben Roethlisberger is retiring. He says it is time to hang up his cleats after 18 years and two Super Bowl wins. The move comes less than two weeks after a lopsided loss to Kansas City in the first round of the playoffs. Scott, I'll send it back to you. 
Okay, Rahel, I appreciate that. Thank you, Rahel Solomon. All right, Apple earnings on deck tonight. Could they be any bigger than they are right now after Microsoft? Microsoft delivered and the pressure was on. Degas, is Apple going to live up to the expectations this time? $160 is where we currently trade. $161 with just hours to go before we find out the results. Scott, I believe Apple is going to deliver. Uh, it has a very strong business model. As we look at the valuation for the company, we like the price at these levels. Uh, we feel that it's going to continue to do well. The expectations for growing revenue and earnings is there. And then ultimately, profitability it has one of the best profitabilities of any of the technology companies. So we're definitely positive and like Apple. Pete, um, I know everybody likes Apple, right? It's clear as no one's going to come on uh, today right. and suggest they don't like it. You have a, you have a position in it, so mm-hmm. I, I, don't, I don't need to hear how much you do like it. But how much do you think riding on it? How good right. do the results necessarily have to be in the kind of tape which we find ourselves in? Well, I think that the, if, the, if they're able to do something even close to what Microsoft came off with, uh, I think then things will be very good. And, and they, they possibly can, Scott. I mean, this is a free cash flow, uh, just absolute animal of a stock. And what we are hearing from a lot of the analysts about some of the iPhone sales, and usually I'm not focused on that anymore. I'm, I'm looking at all the other areas of the market when you're looking at services and wearables and all the rest of it with all the margins. But from, from the looks of it, whether you listen to Morgan Stanley, Stanley or Wedbush, you're going to see some huge numbers being sent out there as far as what they're seeing in the channel check. So if those numbers are anywhere close, I think then we are going to be something very similar to what we saw from Microsoft, where you're talking about a, a little over $2 trillion company that actually had 20% growth across multiple different areas. So I think that's something that Apple can come close to. I don't know if they'll get the same kind of numbers as Microsoft, but if they can get something close then I think that's going to be a quarter that people are going to like. If they miss it all, which they did not that terribly long ago on revenues back in September, then there's a bit of a problem. And then I think you will see some heavy selling come into Apple as well. Yeah, you see it's uh, down 8% Weiss year to date, and it's about 11% or so off of its all-time high as well as we take a look at Apple here. You think Apple gets back to its high this year? You know, I do. I actually do have a little concern about the quarter, though, because Taiwan Semi came out and said that demand for cell phones in China is is really low and seasonally it's supposed to be high. But I think this is going to be a great year for Apple if they come out, as a scuttlebutt is, with some more wearables, whether it's glasses with AI in them or something else they have up their sleeve. And maybe they do the car, which won't cost them any bucks. They'll just go ahead and OEM it with somebody else and use their name. So I think this year particularly be a really big year for Apple. And the valuation is higher than it's ever been. That's okay. It's a new valuation paradigm here for this company. So I've not sold any. I continue to like it. I did buy puts to protect this quarter. So if it does go up a lot, you know, I don't participate as much as I would. I was able to get them cheap. They're the 157.50s expiring tomorrow. But if it goes down, I've got some nice protection because I own more puts than I own shares at this point in the stock. Yeah. Let me let me just interrupt the conversation for just a moment to touch on the market. I know everybody is so in tune with what the market's been doing on a tick by tick basis. I'll show you the Nasdaq, which is now in negative territory since we're talking about the biggest stock by market cap. Nasdaq's down by about one half of one percent. That's 61 points. Dow's been bleeding a little bit. Uh, down, it's up still, but only by 133 points. So it's come 
fairly significantly off of its best levels of this early day, uh, 34,304. Again, the yield on the 10-year note, which I'll repeatedly point out to you, is 178. Um, Jim Labenthal, among the stocks that you added to uh, this week, Apple was one of them. And a matter of fact, hold your thought here. We're going to show you, we'll show you a shot of the White House here uh, where the president uh, is speaking. The, the gentleman to his right, to your left, is uh, Supreme Court Justice Stephen Breyer, officially announcing uh, his retirement today after some three decades on the bench, uh, Justice Breyer suggesting that he'll officially step down uh, once a successor or a nominee is confirmed uh, by the Senate. And the president, as you know, by now uh, on the campaign trail, has pledged to nominate an African-American woman to the bench. And we'll see uh, how that progresses, that whole process, which, by the way, tonight on the news with Shepard Smith, they're going to take you through uh, the prospects of what's at stake now on the Supreme Court, what it means for the president uh, as well, and, uh, of course, that whole process. So you'll tune in 7 o'clock tonight. Shep's going to have the details there. Jimmy, wrap this up for me, if you could, with a comment on Apple. Again, you added to it into the number. It's a bit of a bold play. Well, uh, thanks, Scott. I mean, Apple, I think, for all of us, should be the spine of a portfolio, the backbone. And at that same time, you've got to recognize what you're going to get this year is a share price appreciation equal to the earnings per share appreciation, which is going to be around 10 percent. You cannot reasonably expect the multiple to expand, not after it doubled in the last five years. It was 13 five years ago. Hard to imagine that it's 27 today. In a rising interest rate environment, the multiple's not going higher. But you will get 10 percent from Apple this year, get back to the high. And sure, I'll add to that. That's the spine. But I'm far more excited about small caps and reopening stocks like Greenbrier and Wynn Resorts. Okay, we will. uh, We'll we'll take that break. I'm just glancing over at shares of uh, Intel, which are at the lowest level in a year now, uh, despite its earnings beat. Pete's going to weigh in on that as he's a holder of that. Uh, We'll talk about the semis as well. We got unusual activity coming up. We got Netflix and Ackman to discuss. We'll do it all when we come back. The spirit of performance defines Acura, and now it's electric. Introducing the all-electric ZDX, Acura's most powerful SUV yet. While what powers their cars may change, the energy that makes Acura never will. Crafted using the same formula that brought them electrified supercars and multiple IMSA championships, the ZDX has track-tested performance that packs an energy all its own. With a premium Bang & Olufsen sound system and up to 313-mile range on a single charge and a Type S variant with an estimated 500 horsepower, the ZDX is everything they said electric could never be. It was built with the driver in mind, just like Acura's been doing since the beginning. We could talk all day, but the only way to experience this electric performance is to drive it yourself. Unlock the energy and order yours at Acura.com. What does it mean to be rich? Is it having more stories to share or time to give? Is it being able to keep your loved ones close or travel somewhere far away? At Edward Jones, we believe the key to being rich is knowing what counts. Your dedicated financial advisor will take a comprehensive approach to your financial strategy to help support what truly matters to you. edwardjones.com slash findyourrich. Edward Jones, member SIPC. All right, let's talk Intel now. Taking a beating today. Take a look at that. Stock's down about 7%. It's the lowest level now in a year. Uh, This follows earnings. All right, Pete, 
What do you have to say about this one? Yeah, it's it's uh, it's frustrating, Scott, because we all know what exactly they're doing. They're they're in the process of some huge uh, money that's being put into Ohio as well as Arizona. And we all know these $20 billion uh, factories and so forth are going to be something that's going to be chewing up a lot of what they're doing with their cash. And and yet the company still did deliver, I think, this quarter to some degree. Now, margins were not quite where we wanted them to be or where they wanted them to be. I think Pat Galsinger really did a great job on on CNBC earlier today when he was talking about some of the uh, the, the different parts about what's going on there. But you look at data center chips, they were up 20 percent. You look at uh, Internet of Things, that was up 27 percent. So there are areas of growth. But it's still frustrating. And, and I will say this. Intel, believe it or not, was leading this year uh, the SMH by quite a bit of percentage move. Now, it's gotten a little bit closer, but it's still ahead of the SMH in terms of the move. So it's held in there okay. That doesn't make me very happy that I'm having to use that as the expression, but better than the SMH itself. So from that perspective, it's done okay, but it is frustrating, Scott. I, I have been looking at this for a long, long time and thought about it a long, long time, whether or not I'm going to continue to hold on. For right now, I am, but uh, it's on a little bit of uh, thin ice right now for me. Seach, uh, you recently bought it. What made you want to skate with Intel to continue what Pete's talking about <laughs> on thin ice? <laughs> added, added to it, it, it's actually more than frustrating. Uh, we like the semiconductor space right now. Is is demand is outshipping supply in there and really every part of it. The stock is so cheap. Um, at 10.6 times, 8% dividend grower, 8% free cash flow yield. I mean, uh, we like to have a portfolio that's protected from asteroids, and usually price uh, price does that. It's, it, it's kind of like when Bryn was talking about some of the more expensive stocks. I think they do come back, but to quote a line from M&M, Nobody listens to techno, and they won't for a while in those stocks. So we're trying to hide out in some of these less expensive stocks with positive demographic trends. And it's just so that's why Intel's really more than frustrating. Okay, Um, I'm not going to get out of this segment, Weiss, before I give you a chance to I don't know what on Teradyne. Uh, speaking of asteroids, which is getting absolutely destroyed today. It's, it was down 26%, and you have a position there, so I need you to talk yeah. about it. Yeah, yeah, and, you know, as I said in the show, I guess a couple of months ago, I sold half of it, but it's a small position with a monstrous freaking loss today. So thank you for bringing it up, because sometimes I need that dose of humility. It doesn't often happen, Scott. So, look, I don't know how what you I'm here missed. for, Steve. Thank you. Thank you. And you do that job well. Um, look, I don't know how you missed how they missed. I mean, this is not a startup. This is not a company where they don't have visibility into what they're doing. So it's it, I've never seen anything like this, frankly, where you take the numbers down on a company that you have to show them the business you want to do with them months and months ahead of time. So it's not supply chain. It's bad management. It'll bounce because all dogs bounce, you know, even if they're just jumping off a, a couch. And uh, this will bounce and I'll get out. No patience for it. All right. Uh, when okay. we come back, we will discuss that new Netflix position and Bill Ackman, that stock. There it is. A big winner today in the tape. We're going to talk about it when we come back.
Told you about shares of Netflix today. They are rallying. Bill Ackman's Pershing Square is now a major shareholder. Leslie Picker following the money for us. LP, it sounds like the stock got (laughs) cut in half by 50 percent. Bill Ackman been looking at it for a while and said, "Okay, I'm in. That's exactly right, Scott. A little movie magic here. That stake worth about a billion dollars at recent levels. News of Ackman's involvement sending shares of Netflix up now more than 7% today. But prior to today's moves, shares had plummeted more than 41% just this year alone as pandemic tailwinds seemed to subside and subscriber growth slowed. For much of its two decades, though, as a public company, Netflix has been seen as a growth stock. But amid the recent sell-off, value investors have gotten more into the mix. Bill Nygren said earlier this week on Closing Bell that he thinks Netflix is a smart buy at these levels. And now Ackman said he decided to acquire his stake when an attractive valuation emerged. However, it doesn't appear like Ackman will be using his new stake to wield major changes at the company, at least not publicly anytime soon. In a tweet, he said, quote, I have long admired Reed Hastings and the remarkable company he and his team have built. We are delighted that the market has presented us with this opportunity. In a letter to his his own investors, Ackman was also complimentary. He hasn't run a proxy fight since he lost one with ADP. That was over four years ago. And his quieter approach has actually paid off in performance with returns of at least 26 percent in each of the last uh, three years. You can see in 2020, returns were 70 percent. Scott. Mm. Yeah, I'd, I'd be surprised, right? I, I know you would, too, uh, just based on the company that we're talking about, if there was sort of a contentious nature to something down the road. I would just be surprised if if we saw something to that effect. This just sounds like a good value play, right, Les? Yeah, I think it's more of a value play, at least at this point in time. Interestingly, I was surprised to see that they do have a single class share structure, considering that it is founder-led. You don't typically see a lot of activists kind of coming up at the gate of founder-led companies, but this one went public in 2002 before those structures were really commonplace. Yeah, before all that uh, <laughs> came in vogue. All right, Les, thanks. That's <laughs> Leslie Picker for us. Pete's got unusual next. Yeah. Go ahead, Pete. Unusual. All right, I'm going to start with Abby. Now, Abby's pushing right up against 52-week all-time highs, actually, one, over 138. It's pushing right there, Scott. We've got a buyer today of 8,100 of the March 140 call, so just out of the money. A lot of the time when you break up to new highs, you break through those new highs. They're paying about $4 for those calls, 8,100 of those. So that's pretty interesting. Then we've got Healthcare Trust of America, HTA. Now, this is a little bit different for us because it's a REIT, a healthcare facility. So that's a lot different than anything we normally talk about, but I see a big Role going on where they are selling February 32 and a half. They're going out and buying the March 37 and a half calls, about 5,000 of those for about 35 cents. Stock's going to have to make a pretty significant move, but I think it can. I bought both of these, Scott. All right, good stuff. Pete, thanks for that update. We'll do final trades on the other side of this break. All right, gang, let's do final trades. Pete, lead us off. I'm going to give you a bunch of energy names. XLE, Baker Hughes, APA, RIG, all of those. Call buying in those. Love it, Scott. Call buying from you as well. All right, Degas, you're up next. Illinois Tool Works, the leading maker of industrial products and equipment, and it provides 2% yield, dividend yield for shareholders and also share buybacks. Okay. All right, great. Bryn? 
Viacom. They're taking market share, I think, from Netflix. Three big, hand, three big um, deals on their hands. Siege. Diamondback Energy. Uh, if you think oil and natural gas prices are headed higher, okay. this is the one to I've got to go. Jim? Jim, go ahead, and then Weiss. Alaska Airlines. Alaska Airlines. Okay, CEO coming up. CEO. All right, the CEO of Alaska, by the way, is coming up in about 30 minutes, so you don't want to miss that on The Exchange, which starts now. You've been listening to CNBC's Halftime Report, the podcast. You can always catch us live weekdays at 12 Eastern, only on CNBC. Imagine a beautiful afternoon. The sun is shining and you get to enjoy it all because you just sat down on your John Deere mower. The smooth ride lets you escape into your yard. Intuitive controls make you feel like you're one with the machine. And with attachments for every season, you can enjoy it all year long. We could keep trying to put you in the moment, but to really understand what it's like to drive a John Deere mower, you just have to get in the seat. Learn more at johndeere.com slash get in the seat or visit a dealer near you.